help people, you finish it for me. Find and follow Jesus. We as a church have been focusing on where are we going as a church as we look towards year 15 and beyond. November 3rd is our big celebration weekend, November 2 and 3. And we're saying, God, what's next for us? And one thing we've been working on this year is retooling, updating, giving kind of 2.0 to our mission and vision. And we've said we are going to help people find and follow Jesus. That comes right out of Matthew 28, where Jesus told his disciples the great commission, which is going to all the world to preach, to teach, to baptize, to make disciples. And so as we focused in, we said, you know what? As we look to turn the corner, we've got to get really good about that. And we've got to get more in focus about that. We've got to be very much more purposeful about that. How are we going to do that? So that's the great commission. Well, we're going to follow the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to be motivated by love. And so we want to grow in our love of God. We want to grow in our love of people, people that we know, people that we don't know, that we just will be a, a congregation of love, will be a people of love as we help people find and follow Jesus. And then we said, how are we going to do this? Well, the vision is that we will connect people to Christ. We'll help people who, who do not know Christ, who, who are maybe struggling to walk with Christ, who have wandered from Christ. We'll help them discover Christ and get on a journey of walking with Christ. And then we want to help them center their life on Christ. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we learn what does it mean to walk with Christ at the center of life. From there, we want to help people discover their call in Christ, which is their purpose. What did God put me, for, put me here on this earth for? I had a guy this week, I visited in a hospital. Some of you have been praying very fervently for a man who had a, had a motorcycle accident. He's been laying in a bed at UK and went and got a chance to visit with him. And with tears in his eyes, he just said, I've got to discover my purpose I got to know why I'm here. Sometimes when you have a tragedy like that and you're laying flat on your back, the only thing you can do is look up and you start having some conversations with God going, God, my direction hasn't been working. What is your direction? What is your purpose, your call in my life? And step four, go change the world. So we connect people with Christ. Christ becomes a center. We discover our purpose. We go out and we change the world. Our world might be our school that we're in. Our world might be our workplace that we're in. Our world might mean I, I go to larger parts of Kentucky or I go to Tennessee or I go to California. It might mean I go to some foreign state where God leads me. But we are willing to go to preach, teach, baptize, and make disciples, help people find and follow Jesus. Last week, we broke down what it means to connect people to Christ. We dove in deep into that. I encourage you, if you missed last week's message, to go online and watch it or listen to it. Basically... What it means is that we are rescuing people from hell and helping them discover a new life in Jesus Christ. That we're saying we don't want to see people separated from God in eternity. We want to see them with God in eternity. And so when we connect people to Christ, we're helping them receive eternity with Jesus. And that's what we should desire. We really love people, our coworkers, our family members, our friends, those that we care about people who we don't even know as we meet them in a grocery store or meet them at the restaurant, how can I help this person connect with Christ? We help them discover to live in this world with a purpose and a promise. Because we can live in this world having purpose, but also looking forward to the promise of where eternity will be. And after someone accepts that free gift of salvation found in Jesus, then what do we do? We help them put Christ at the center of life. See, the church 
in America for too long has been guilty about helping people come to Christ, pray and receive Jesus Christ, get baptized in the water of baptism, and then we leave them alone and say, good luck. Matter of fact, I imagine some of you in here have experienced that. And we've said, you know what, that cannot continue anymore. We cannot bring someone to be a new babe in Christ and say, have good luck, figure it out. We would never do that with a newborn baby. Brian and I have had three of those babies who are now young adults and moving into life, but there was not once in a hospital that they were born. And I went, honey, we're done. Leave them there. They'll figure it out. Now, there's been times through life I want to say, I'm done. Leave them, let them figure it out. But none of us would do that with a baby. You would not have a brand new baby, lay that baby on the ground and say, baby, figure it out. Feed yourself. Change your own diaper. Start growing. Take care of yourself. But we do that with newborn babes in Christ. And so as we talk about the centering idea today, it's about how do we personally help other people Censor their life on Christ so that they're growing and getting off of the milk, so to speak, and moving to the meat of walking in Jesus Christ. That's what I want to talk with you about today. It's, it's easy to talk about, but it's not always so easy to do. It takes a decisive effort. It takes a decision to yield our lives and our wills to God's program and God's purpose and God's way. It takes us following God's plan and not our plan. Making Christ the center is really all about who's in charge. Who's calling the shots? Who, who's the one behind the steering wheel? Who's leading? Who's making the decisions about life? I want you to check out this video. I'll help you explain what I'm talking about today. Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. Kathleen, guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. Oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to oh. go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, so let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. <laughs> Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Uh, there's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay. okay. So, let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, see, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh. I, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. <laughs> well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This I, isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did.
Who's holding this in your life? When we're talking about, when we're talking about centering our lives on Christ, is, there's this tug of war that goes on, isn't there sometimes? Lord, I want to do it my way. Well, no, Lord, I want you to do it. No, Lord, I want to do it my way. And sometimes our arms get wrapped around this thing like this, like, I like my way a whole lot. And then our hands will start to loosen a little bit, and we'll start to, like, get it out there to God. And then we say, well, 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 let me have it back. I want to do it my way. What we're talking about is truly releasing this spot of life and saying, Lord, it's, it's for you. Lord, you're on the throne of my life, and I'm willing to go where you want me to go. I'm willing to follow wherever you're leading. Lord, I don't want to hold on to it. Lord, I don't want to be in charge. Lord, I'm done with all that stuff. Lord, it's all you, no longer me. I believe there's many reasons why we should do that, why we should say, God, you're in charge. Why we should say, Lord, you're at the center of life. I believe there's many we could come up with, but I just want to discuss three of them today with you that I think cover a whole lot of them. Number one, reason number one why I think we should let Christ have the stool, so to speak, is that our focus must be on Jesus. Look at Colossians chapter one with me. The apostle Paul writes this to the church at Colossae. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, resent you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Jesus is the supreme focus of the Bible, is what Paul was pointing out here to the church in Colossae. He's saying, look at, very early in the chapter, he's like, look at, this is what Jesus did. This is who Jesus is. And from the third chapter of Genesis until the last chapter in Revelation, God reveals his plan to bring a redeemer who would not only bring forgiveness of sins and salvation, but would rule over all creation and everything else that comes to fruition. And this passage tells us that he created all things. He holds all things together. He's supreme. He's the ultimate focus of eternity. Stop and think about it. If he's the main focus of the word of God, then maybe he should be the same focus for our lives. I mean, if Jesus is the main focus in God's holy scriptures, would that not mean Jesus should be the main focus, the center 
of our lives. See, if you call yourself a Christian, then you should be focusing on Christ. He should be the center of life 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Not just Sunday when we come to church, not just when I have a Bible study, not just when I have a devotion, but every single day. That means Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. 168 hours in a week, we should say, he's the center. He's on the throne. And I'm going to listen to him to direct me of what I do in life. He should be the focus in all areas of life, in your work life, to stop and go, Lord, as I go through this day, as I have decisions to make, Lord, I want to talk with you. As I'm trying to figure out how do I do this in my job, Lord, I want you to guide me in this. As you're dealing with things of honesty or things of integrity, we should always come back to, how am I doing this in Christ? He should be the main focus of your family life. He should be the main focus of our family life. And we should be guiding our, our wives, and our wives should be guiding our husbands, we should be guiding our children. I'm not saying that you need to have hour-long devotion every single day and every single night, and that you should run your, your family that uh, just kind of in this directed way that we do nothing else but him, but he should be the focus and he guides us. He should focus our marriages. He should be the focus of our marriage. Yes, yes, the divorce rate is astronomical in this world. And depending who you talk to in America, it's 50, 60, 70%. I don't know the latest percentage because it seems like it changes all the time who you talk to. But we know that marriages are struggling greatly. That's why we do grace marriage, trying to help people focus in. How do I grow, grow my marriage? But husbands, may I suggest that we really need to take the lead in our marriage? We really need to take the lead about putting Christ the center. The Bible says that your marriage is the model of the love of Christ has for his church. And if you're not honoring your wife, loving her as Christ loved the church, laying down your life for your wife, then your marriage is going to be challenged. See, when we put Christ at the center of our marriage, it's amazing how much greater and how much stronger a marriage can become. Are you raising your children to love God? You're raising your children to love his word. Are you raising your children to be people of prayer? Or is the Bible and church life just kind of a distraction that gets in the way? I just got to sometimes dive in on that. Parents, I got to tell you, when you teach your children inconsistency in worship, inconsistency in the Bible, when you teach them that it's just kind of a choice amongst many other things, and you're haphazard in your worship or your involvement with Christ and his church, you're teaching your children that haphazardness is okay. And what will happen is when they become adults, haphazardness will become no involvement whatsoever. And we'll look back as adults and go, what happened to my kids? Why are they not in church anymore? Why are they not serving Jesus? What's going on? Because we've worshipped all the other stuff of this world. We need to be teaching our children that Christ is the center of our life. When you have decisions to make at home, are you saying, hey, let's pray about that decision. When you're thinking through things and you're wondering, do we do this vacation? Do we get involved with this? Do we do this? Are you saying, wait a minute, that might interrupt our life with our church and what we're doing in God's kingdom. That's not going to, that's going to be in conflict. Or do you say, no, that's okay. Let's just sign up. Let's do it. Our church can do this way. Let's put it all to the side. And then what we do then is we put our life with Jesus on the side. See, Jesus should be the focus of our marriage. We need to focus our family, focus our workplace, and even the focus of our recreation and our entertainment. I want you to think for a moment about music, movies, 
apps that you look at, magazines, whatever you read, the stuff that you're involved in, the kind of vacations you take, where you go, what you do to unwind after a day of work. Do those kinds of things honor God? Would God look at your life and go, yeah, I'm, I'm good with all that stuff. I'm good with your involvement. Or there's some things in your life that maybe God would say, yeah, you can maybe get that out of your life. That's really not keeping me at the center. Do you honor God and you display that there's a focus of Christ in your life? Now, I'm not saying go climb in a hole and never come out. I'm not saying never read, never watch, or do anything unless it involves the Bible. But I believe it's time, church, that we start evaluating what we allow in our heart and our mind and what we spend our time with and evaluating with the Holy Spirit that's inside of us and say, God, the stuff I'm allowing, does it align, does it fit, does it honor you? Now, first service, and I'll do it at second service, I just let me give you a confession, what I'm talking about. Here's Brian's confession. I like the show, The Walking Dead. Any other Walking Dead fans? Be honest. Come on. The preacher can say it up front, okay? I like that show. Now, I didn't intend to like that show. A few years ago, Caleb was watching it, and he was like in a season two, and I was like, what is this? And so I started watching it, and I went, wow, this is interesting. Before long, I was sitting on the couch, and I went back and caught season one and caught up, and we've been watching it for a long time. But it seems like every year that comes around, I have this wrestling, like, should I be watching that? Should I not be watching that? You know what starts tonight? The new season of The Walking Dead. And God has been all over me. Like, Brian, do you really need that in your life? Someone first served one and said, Brian, that's all pretend. Does it really matter? Yes, it matters. It matters what we allow into our head and what we allow in our heart and what we allow in our mind. And so as much as I hate to say it, that show is getting cut out of my life. I say, I can share that with you because now I'm being held accountable. Because you all will ask me, you've been watching it? What's in your life? Is that the most awful, sinful, worst thing you could do to watch that show? No, absolutely not. But my talk with God, he said, Brian, you don't really need it. You don't need to be watching that, seeing it, participating in it. What's in your life that God's going, get that out of your life. You don't need it. All of these things reflect where we're at in our walk with Christ. Dr. Paul Tripp said, if Christ does not reign over the mundane events in our lives, he does not reign at all. And sometimes what we do is, oh, that's just something small. It's just a mundane. It's no big deal. But do we really want him to reign in our life? That's what we're talking about when we say, put him as a center. Put him on the stool. Put him on the throne of life. Is he really in charge? If he is, we stop and talk to him. Am I going to spend my money here? Am I going to go on vacation here? Am I going to watch this show? Am I going to listen to this? What am I going to do? What am I going to participate in? We talk to him because he's on the throne. And he says, yeah, maybe you should stay away from that. Maybe you don't participate in that. Maybe that's not good for you. Maybe you should go here. Maybe you should go there. Maybe you should do this. Maybe you should do that. We say, Lord, that's what I want to listen to. See, Jesus needs to be the focus. He needs to be the center in the lives of those, of those who call themselves Christian. Let me give you a second reason this morning to make Christ the center. Jesus is the boss. He's our boss. In John chapter 8, verse 31, it says, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold on my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then verse 32 says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, most of us are somewhat familiar with that second part of the passage, but not as familiar with the first. We say, well, you know the truth, the truth will set you free. But we forget that Jesus first said, If you hold on my teachings, then you're really my disciples. 
In other words, if you claim to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, then you hold on to his teachings, not just believing, but also obeying. You put them into action. We put them into work. We don't say, well, I believe in his word, but then not do his word. See, Jesus' teachings are incredibly practical and easy to understand when it comes to, to like things like relationships and other people and business ethics and how to spend my money and how to deal with stress and how to pray. There's so much in Scripture that he teaches us about. And if we say, I'm a disciple, I'm a follower of Jesus, then I want to follow what he does. See, and you say, where do I start at? If I want to get started, that's the question I get asked many times as a preacher. Preacher, where do I begin in the Bible? This book is so big, I don't even know where to start. Well, what about just starting with the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. You say, I want Christ to be the center of my life. I want to follow his teachings. I want to do his will for my life. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, it's the greatest sermon. It's the red letters. You read and study Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and you can probably live in those three chapters until you go to eternity. And I promise if you were to just live in those three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that great sermon, you'll start putting Christ as the center of your life because 100% of it applies to living for Christ. See, I believe Jesus has the right to run the show. I mean, for no other reason than the fact that he created you. He created me. And he gave his son to die on a cross. So he created us and he died for us. So would you not say he has the right to run the show in our life? That, that means we get out of the way and say, you're, you're in charge. A recent survey by George Gallup revealed a startling trend in our culture that just continues to grow and it's getting worse and worse. According to Gallup, the evidence seems to indicate that there are no clear behavioral patterns that distinguish Christians from non-Christians in our society. He says, we all seem to be marching to the same drum. We're looking to the shifting standards of contemporary culture for the basis of what is acceptable behavior. In other words, as this study went on, you take one person who says, I'm a Christ follower, one person who says, I just follow the ways of the world. We look the same. We behave the same. We act the same. That should not be if we're in Christ, if we receive the new life that is in Jesus. A survey by Gallup tells me that we have a lot of Christians, but few disciples. This week I was in a discussion with someone who said, you know, it's really easy to be saved, to have quote-unquote fire insurance so that I'm not separated from eternity from God. I'll be in heaven. But there's a big difference between being saved and being in heaven. And there is someone who's a disciple who says, I submit my life and I follow Jesus and everything I do. See, for some people, this is the closest you, to hell you'll ever be. And it's the only hell you'll ever experience what takes place on, the earth, on this earth because you're focused on Jesus. For others, this is the closest you'll ever get to heaven because maybe not being focused on Jesus, not surrendering to Jesus. Jesus did not call for believers. He called for disciples. He didn't say go out and make a bunch of believers. He didn't say go out and make a bunch of Christians. He said go out and make disciples. When we talk about helping people center their lives on Christ, we're talking about making disciples of Jesus and not just Christians, not just people who said the pledge, so to speak, not people who just did the act of baptism, but people who say, I'm going to live a life that is surrendered to him being on the throne, to him being in charge. Gordon Dahl said most middle-class Americans tend to worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. Now let that sink in for a moment. Look at that statement. 
Most middle-class Americans tend to worship their work and we make work a high priority in our life. Work at their play. In other words, hey, what recreation stuff am I going to do? I'm going to put a lot of effort into it. And then play at their worship. Oh, things of God, things of the church, things of Bible study, things of honesty, things of integrity. That's ah, kind of there. I just kind of mess around with it. See, just as it would be foolish for us to allow our children to run the show at home, it's foolish for us to try to run the show with God. And I guarantee if I sat in your home and watched you parent, there are going to be many times throughout. If I spent one day with you, and if you spent the day with me, I guarantee if you have kids in at home, there are going to be many times you say, hey, stop doing that. Hey, behave this way. Hey, get in line. Hey, you want a spanking? Hey, you want to be grounded? Hey, you want me to take away your allowance? Hey, what do you, we, would, uh, you, we will get them in line. We work towards that. And when they say, but mom, dad, but mom, dad. No, mom and dad are in charge. And I know if I went to my mom and dad said, no, I want to be in charge. That always got corrected and straightened out. And you know who ended up on losing end? I did. God wants us to submit to his will and his way. He wants to run the show. He bought you with his blood. So he should be the boss of life that, that because he bought you, because he paid the price. You, if you call yourself a Christian, you call yourself a disciple, I want to be a disciple, then we got to come to the point to say, you know what? I, I'm not sitting here. No longer am I here. And we're not going to do what they did in the video. No one cheek in it. Well, you get over here and I get over here. Let's try to figure this out. No, no negotiating. No, Lord, you are the boss. You sit on the throne. And we put ourselves behind him and say, where are you going? What do you want for my life? That's what I'm doing. That's where I'm following. That's where I am heading. Let me give you one more reason why I believe Jesus should be at the center of life. He's our source. He's our source, our source for everything. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus makes life possible and not only did he create it, he sustains it. The verse says that we call ourselves Christians, then we no longer live, but what? But Christ lives inside of us. And if Christ lives inside of us, that means he starts to animate us. He starts to direct our thinking. He directs how we move and what we do. And we exercise faith when we obey his word. We exercise faith when we trust his will. We exercise faith when we do his promises that we see in his word. Because Jesus is the source for our life. Jesus is the source for our talents. Jesus is the source for our abilities, our energies, our desires, our interests. He's given you those abilities. When we put these things together, trusting God to make things happen, then he moves in our life. You stop and think, well, I'm a CEO of this company. I'm a manager over this. I'm a, I'm a teacher over all these children. I'm in charge of this. I'm in charge of that. You put your talents together, and sometimes we start believing that those talents are all because of me. Those talents are magnified when we realize he's the source of life. And when we say, I want to hold on to this right here. I want to be in charge. These are my talents. These are my abilities. These are what I can do. It can all come crashing down awful quickly. When we start saying, you know what? These talents, these treasures, these abilities, the giftedness I have, the position I have in my workplace, the position I have in my school place, it's not about the titles behind our name. 
not about the degrees that we've earned. It's not about the grades that we have. It's all about us submitting and saying, I, I let all that stuff go. And the only reason why I have it is because of the abilities that he has given me. See, what we start to discover is that our significance and the source of our significance and our security then comes from Jesus. And it doesn't come from who I am. It doesn't come from what my bank account looks like. We are important not because of what we do or because who we marry or because of our job or because how much money I have in a bank or how much money I don't have in a bank. It's not because of any of that, where I've traveled, people I oversee. It's not that. I'm loved because Jesus loved me and he gave his son for me. And my significance comes because Jesus is the source. What I mean is that Jesus would have died for you even if you're the only person that was ever on earth. I mean, think about that truth for a moment. If it was just me, God still would have sent his son Jesus, absolutely. That's our significance. You are important to him, and he loves you so much that he works to protect us from harmful influences that would steal your joy and love for him. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to what? To steal, to kill, and destroy. The thief wants to destroy our life. I have come that they may have life, and have it to the full. Having life to the full is we start discovering he's our source. That's where my talent, my treasure, my abilities come from. That's where my significance comes from. God wants you to enjoy life. And he makes it possible to enjoy it to the fullness. Even in the midst of trial or tragedy or difficulty. Can I still enjoy that? Can I still have purpose? Can I still have meaning? Absolutely. I think this short, short story I came across clearly communicates what I'm trying to say to you today. Listen closely. The cheerful girl with bouncy golden curls was almost five. With her mother at the checkout stand, she saw them a circle of glistening white pearls in a pink foil box. Oh, please, Mommy, can I have them? Please, Mommy, please, please, please. Quickly, the mother checked the back of the little foil box and then looked back at the pleading blue eyes of her little girl's upturned face. $1.95, that's almost $2. If you really want them, I think... I'll think of some extra chores for you, and in no time you can save enough money to buy them for yourself. Your birthday is only a week away, and you might get another crisp dollar bill from Grandma. As soon as Jenny got home, she emptied her piggy bank and counted out 17 pennies. After dinner, she did more than her share of chores, and she went to the neighbor and asked Miss McJames if she could pick dandelions for 10 cents. On her birthday, Grandma did give her another new dollar bill, and at last she had enough money to buy the necklace. Jenny loved her pearls. They made her feel dressed up and grown up. She wore them every day, everywhere, Sunday school, kindergarten, even to bed. The only time she took them off was when she went swimming or had a bubble bath. Mother said if they got wet, they might turn her neck green. Jenny had a very loving daddy, and every night when she was ready for bed, he would stop whatever he was doing to come upstairs to read her a story. One night when he finished the story, he asked Jenny, do you love me? Oh, yes, Daddy, you know I love you. Then give me your pearls. Oh, Daddy, not my pearls, but you can have Princess, the white horse from my collection, the one with the pink tail. Remember, Daddy, the one you gave me? She's my favorite. That's okay, honey. Daddy loves you. Good night. And he brushed her cheek with a kiss. About a week later, after the story time, Jenny's daddy asked again, Do you love me? Daddy, you know I love you. Then give me your pearls. Oh, daddy, not my pearls, but you can have my baby doll, the brand new one I got for my birthday. She is so beautiful, and you can have the yellow blanket that matches her sleeper. 
That's okay. Sleep well. God bless you, little one. Daddy loves you. And as always, he brushed her cheek with a gentle kiss. A few nights later, when Daddy came in, Jenny was sitting on her bed with her legs crossed Indian style. As he came close, he noticed her chin was trembling and one silent tear rolled down her cheek. What is it, Jenny? What's the matter? Jenny didn't say anything but little but lifted her little hand up to her daddy, and when, she op- and when she opened it, there was her little pearl necklace with a little quiver. She finally said, here, daddy, it's for you. With tears gathering in his own eyes, Jenny's kind daddy reached out with one hand to take the dime store necklace, and with the other hand, he reached into his pocket and pulled out a blue velvet case with a strand of genuine pearls and gave them to Jenny. He had, the, had them all the time. He was just waiting for her to give up the dime store stuff so he could give her the genuine treasurer. What are you holding on to? What kind of dime store stuff are you squeezing in your hands? And God is saying, let go. Let me have it. I have something much greater for you. I want to bless you. But until you let go of the dime store stuff, we'll never experience the fullness that Christ has for us. Let him give you the genuine article of full life in him instead of the cheap dime store imitation that you cling on to your own. See, he wants to do a work in us. He wants to clean us up. He wants to chain us. It's true that you may have to give up certain activities. I don't want to beat around the bush that when you come to Christ and you say, I want to be a disciple of Christ, there's a process of work that takes place. A process of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit nudging us and guiding us saying, are you ready to release release this part of life? Are you ready to release this part of life? Are you ready to let go of this part of life? So that through time, we're changed to be more like Christ. And what is he calling you to? As we center our life on Christ, there's more and more of the hand gets loosened and loosened and loosened until we operate in an open-handed life saying, Lord, my life is your life and I want to do what you want me to do. time to surrender to Christ. That's what a life is that's centered on Jesus. They walk in a lifestyle of surrender where you experience the full life that Christ has. Jesus is the source. We make him the center of life. We continually work at that. We encourage one another. We help one another. And then we bring other people on a journey. We connect in Christ and say, all right, we got to grow. We got to take a step to help him become the center of life. In other words, we got to get off the stool. And when we notice, I'm taking the stool back. Nope, Lord, it's your stool. And we continually surrender. We let him be in charge so that he is the center of life. Bow your head.